This is the Education Gadfly Show. We often send Marty our, our studies and basically beg him to not let us embarrass ourselves, and he helps us do that. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at FordhamInstitute.org. And now, please welcome back my special guest for this week, Professor Marty West. Marty, welcome back to the show. Hey, Mike, it's great to be with you. Yeah, also joining us, as always, my co-host, David Griffith. Hey, Mike. Hello, David. Uh, you know, David, very exciting. Uh, he and his wife have have a little baby on the way. So you're, you're going to be taking a break uh, pretty soon. We'll see how soon. Uh, yeah, that's right. I'm looking forward to finding out all of the um, the many things that I've been saying that appear wrong from the perspective of a parent. Uh-huh. Right? Oh, okay. Yeah, that'll be fun. <laughs> hey, for those of you that don't know, but come on, of course, you know, Marty West is a professor of education at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. He's also deputy director of the Harvard Kennedy School's program on education policy, and he is editor in chief of Education Next. Uh, Marty and, and a good friend and, and a good friend of Fordham's. We appreciate all that you do to help us, Marty. We, we often send Marty our, our studies and basically beg him to not let us embarrass ourselves, and he helps us do that uh, with a plum. Yeah. So speaking of not embarrassing ourselves, let's now do some amateur analysis of the National Assessment of Educational Progress on this week's Ed Reform Update. All right, so Marty, David, uh, the big news recently is that the latest national test scores came out, the nation's report card, and the news was on the whole very gloomy. Uh, declines or flat uh, in in most categories, and especially some quite significant and, and surprisingly large declines for eighth grade reading. You dig in, and especially in the reading results, you see uh, particularly our lowest performing kids uh, seem to be really going backwards. Uh, this, of course, very different from the days that we can remember back in the, say, 2000s and the glory days of No Child Left Behind when we were used to hearing good news every year as things, especially for the lowest performing kids, seem to be going up, up, up. Marty, what is happening? <laughs> uh, I don't know, but they may have to start renaming the assessment. You know, National Assessment of Educational Progress made sense in those 2000s. <laughs> yes. uh, yeah. Now, maybe it's the National Assessment of Educational Stagnation, or yeah. as you suggest, even decline. Uh, yeah. The most striking thing this year was this quite substantial decline in eighth grade reading performance. It was four points on the NAEP scale, which is actually about a half a year's worth of learning. And what was especially striking about it was how widespread it was. So, Mm -hmm. you know, oftentimes when the NAEP results come out, we see a number of states making progress, others declining a bit. And we sort of spend most of our time figuring out who are the winners, who are the losers, what could explain those differences. But here you had statistically significant declines in 31 states. And so as we think about starting to understand why that might be the case, I think we should be thinking about national level explanations. Uh, You know, what jumps out to me is something that you've written a good bit about, which is that this may still reflect lingering after effects of the Great Recession, um, both the experience of the recession itself uh, and the declines in school funding that unfolded in the early 2010s and would have been experienced by these students early in their education careers and has only just now really recovered. I, I, I couldn't say it better myself. No, look, this is 
This is what I've been arguing. And, and partly, look, I, I care about Jackson wrote a great piece a couple of years ago for Education Next when the 2017 results came out uh, showing some, I, I thought, pretty compelling, uh, at least correlational evidence that uh, there did seem to be this relationship between the, the spending declines uh, and some of the NAEP trends. And, and certainly there's been more and more uh, studies coming out looking at the impact of spending or, or spending cuts on achievement. Uh, and it, it, you know, that story can make some sense. I mean, this again was a, a great or a horrible recession. And this led to the first time in American history, really, that we saw year over year spending cuts in education. We always sort of hear in the press about school spending cuts, but in, in fact, nationally, at least, it always goes up, up, up. But, you know, back in around what, 2011, 2012, 2013, things were really tough. And, and you saw, Basically, uh, no no growth in spending, maybe even some declines. It was greater in some states than others. Uh, and yeah, that's when these, uh, at least these eighth grade students, the eighth graders in 2019, they were what? In, in sort of early elementary school, living through that at the time. You think that, that could certainly have an impact on how much they learned. Uh, and then you think about the fourth graders were actually born into the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. I've been making this case that perhaps, uh, you know, that has an impact what's happening in those early years. Uh, and in fact, if you go back over time and look at the relationship between the supplemental poverty rate and the NAEP, it, it does seem like at some of these big inflection points, there, there might be some relationship there. So in other words, you know, back in the 90s, we saw this huge progress on cutting child poverty rates, uh, especially for kids of color. Uh, and then in the 2000s, you saw these huge gains on NAEP, especially for low, the lowest performing kids. Now, perhaps we're seeing the flip side of that. Um, I mean, so how, but how can we nail this down, Marty? I mean, can we, can we try to look at the variation by states to try to nail some of this down? Well, I think a point you made along the way there in that uh, little dissertation you just gave uh, <laughs> was very important. And that's that we don't just have the overall NAEP trend to look at. Uh, We do have a large number of studies that have been done in recent years that have looked in a more convincing way at the effects of changes in the resources available uh, in different states. And I think, you know, my interpretation of that research is that it does suggest that spending matters. Uh, It's not the only thing that matters, uh, but you know, I, I think some of that work uh, that supports this interpretation of the NAEP has already been done. And so that is what leads me to, uh, you know, uh, think that this is an important factor. Now, I wouldn't say it's the the only thing that's going on. Uh, we had some folks write about the NAEP results for the Education Next website, uh, both in advance predicting what would happen and then after the fact offering their interpretation. Uh, a number of those commentators uh, said, look, you know, this decade of stagnation and slight decline we've experienced since 2009 uh, does match with the period where we really hit the brakes in terms of uh, test-based accountability. That's not what the Obama administration was trying to do. They were trying to really ramp up expectations uh, for accountability for teachers. But in practice, you know, what happened was uh, a lot of the basic infrastructure of school accountability uh, eroded during this period. And uh, that certainly could uh, play a role. We think that that uh, approach to policy uh, drove some improvements in the 1990s and 2000s. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that may be part of what we're seeing here as well. 
You know, it's interesting. Another piece that's interesting to me is looking at reading versus math. The news was much worse in reading than in math, including for the lowest performing kids. Uh, And so, again, you know, I feel like we've long known that reading seems to be much more related to socioeconomic factors. Uh, Obviously, it has a ton to do with what kids are learning, hearing in their own home, to the degree they're getting read to, all that kind of stuff. You know, math is more under the control of schools. And so, again, to me, I say, well, look, if, if the if we've particularly gone backwards in reading versus math, that, that's another argument that this may be largely about these socioeconomic factors. Do you buy that, David? Uh, yeah, I do, actually. Um, and I, I mean, I think that and a couple other points for me are telling. Um, I, I mean, it, this isn't a fully formed thought, but I think that the, the difference, you know, the growing gap between uh, the top and the bottom, mm-hmm. um, it, it's potentially consistent with several hypotheses, but certainly it's consistent with what was happening to kids at the bottom outside of school Mm -hmm. during these years. Um, I'm probably reflecting my priors as much as anything else here, but if you asked me, you know, which makes more of a difference losing, you know, your parents losing their house (laughs) or a a marginal decline in school spending, because don't forget, I mean, the the stimulus, uh, they they threw a lot of money at schools. And so it did fill the hole in in many ways. Well, for two years. I mean, that was the thing. And and then it went off a cliff. Yeah, I I, I, I get that. I'm I'm just, I'm I'm arguing for the purely economic outside of school explanation. Um, I find it hard to believe that anything else could have this level of impact, Mm -hmm. I think. And I also, just one final point. I think that, um, I think the recession was longer than people um, in this conversation maybe experienced it, right? I yeah. mean, for, for, for many um, folks with college degrees and, and stable um, sort of mortgages, right? You know, it was a couple years of like, oh, your stocks took a hit. But, uh, you know, for, for folks who lost their home or who lost their job, the long-term unemployed, it, it, the black community got absolutely hammered. 2013 was still a bad year, you yeah. know? Um, yep. So- yep. Yep. That's my personal take. Uh, one other big question in this year's release. I feel like we talk about this every year. Uh, DC showed some gains. Uh, if you step back and look over a little bit of a longer period of time, they, they show even stronger gains. Uh, what's interesting, though, I've, I've been looking at this. If you break it out by race, uh, a lot of those gains disappear. Uh, and so to me, that that says that you know perhaps this is a cohort effect that basically... Uh, maybe in the sample in DC, you've got more higher achieving white students replacing lower achieving kids of color. Could be. Uh, they're all relatively flat in terms of change over time, but because of that uh, composition change, uh, the DC scores are going up. So in other words, you know, is, is does DC get credit for its reforms or is it just benefiting from being in a booming gentrifying city? Marty, uh, I mean, this all fair game, you think? I certainly think gentrification has played a major role in DC's improvements. Uh, I don't think it's the entire story, and uh, the Urban Institute has done some work trying to unpack that a bit and shows that DC is making progress over and above demographic expectations as for as we can you know make them based on the types of data that that NAEP collects. Uh, but it's certainly part of the story. But I think it's important to say that, you know, if the demographic composition of the D.C. public schools is changing, to some degree, that's a uh, to the credit of the system for bringing middle class families back into the public school system. Uh, The other thing that's going on in D.C. is that you're seeing progress both in the public charter school sector and in DCPS itself. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I think you're seeing 
sort of, uh, as you all like to say, a rising tide lift all boats there. Mm -hmm. All right. Last one, Mississippi, been getting a lot of attention. I think well-deserved. I have shouted out uh, for Mississippi before because they've been on this sort of decade-long uh, slow and steady progress, especially in fourth grade reading, but this year's uh, results in math also. Uh, should we all be taking trips down to Mississippi to see what they're doing right? Well, they sure are an outlier in this year's results. I mentioned earlier, 31 states going down in eighth grade reading, 17 states going down in fourth grade reading. In both of those, Mississippi was the only state registering improvements. Uh, and so something they're doing is bucking the national trend. And you know, as I understand it, they've really taken a evidence-based approach to uh, uh, reading instruction. They require all new teachers to take two courses in phonics. I think they're even requiring that ed school professors take courses in uh, scientifically-based approaches to promoting reading. I have no idea if that's the most important thing that they're doing, but uh, it sure looks like it's working. You know, uh, people, the the folks who do not like the Common Core have not surprisingly used these results to say that Common Core is not working. I would point out Mississippi has stuck with the Common Core, even stuck with Park. For some reason, I can't quite, I need to learn more. There was not a big fight down there in the Deep South over that. Please be quiet. You know, on the other hand, some of the non-Common Core states like Texas, uh, like Virginia, has saw some big declines. So look, I I mean, I think it, you know, to the extent that, Common Core did or did not change anything in the classroom. Uh, probably still at this point, it mostly did not change much in the classroom. It seems to have been, in my view, not not the factor. But, you know, in places that have, look, if, if you focus on teaching and learning, like it seems like Mississippi did uh, and it continues to do, that maybe maybe that helps. Maybe we should do more of that. Yeah, maybe. yeah, I I think you're right, and and you know some people have said, look, Mississippi made improvements from a very low uh, starting point. Yeah. Maybe that's uh, easier to do, um, but you know you look at it alongside other states that were in a similar point, maybe even uh, slightly higher. It's neighbor Alabama, and you know they've been right next door, uh, totally flat over an extended period of time. So. Um, I don't think we should dismiss what's happening in Mississippi uh, without taking a closer look. All right. That's a good way to end. Thank you so much, Marty. Again, Marty West, uh, professor at the Harvard Graduate School of Education uh, and also the editor-in-chief of Education Next. Uh, do check out, it, it was fun, a bunch of us making predictions on the Ed Next blog but ahead of time uh, and then also analyzing after the fact. Check that out. Uh, Marty, always appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Now it's time for everyone's favorite Amber's Research Minute. Welcome back to the show, Amber. Thank you, Mike. Hey, we can never get enough nape around here. Oof, well, they miss napery, but not miss napery is not so bad anymore. Right? I feel like I didn't see as much uh, miss napery. <laughs> Am I wrong about that? Have you seen what the Common Core <laughs> opponents have been saying? All right, all right. It's proof, proof. I say so that Common Napery. Core is not working, right. as are the low SAT scores. I'm not sorry, AC, ACT scores. ACT, ACT scores, scores, right? right. That's okay. miss. Actory? I don't know. We have to come up. <laughs> Is that a new one? I uh, miss that. I'm not on Twitter. I miss all these things. Yes, you guys. Thank you. Thank you. I, I do try to, I try out things on Twitter. Uh, and, I see. Uh, I see. Yeah. So, uh, Before you bring the podcast. Trial balloons. Yes. All right. What you got? <laughs> we have a new study by Matthew Larson. He's an economist at Lafayette College. 
examines the effect of graduation rates on uh, graduation requirements on arrest rates. Um, he looks at both the number of courses that students are required to pass in order to graduate hmm. and whether they must pass an exit exam in order to graduate. So those two things. Uh, All right. Okay. So wait, so whether basically how, how low uh, the standards are to graduate uh, in a given state, sure. Uh, versus the course. I mean, yes. Okay. Look at the two Got measures: it. courses yes. and right. exam rates. Perhaps if we listen, we'll find out. Okay. <laughs> I'm just. I'm, I'm, I, He's going to get aggravated because I, I think I actually have four sentences about the methodology, which right. is going to be. Tough. But I'm kind of just I'm curious, like what the hypothesis would be, like why what the relationship might be. Yeah. Well, what's your hypothesis before we get started, David? My hypothesis is that the researchers have found something interesting. All right. (laughs) And they have. All right, go ahead. I uses arrest data from the FBI's Uniform Crime Report, which aggregates data from local police agencies and examines arrest counts for 15 through 24-year-olds annually for 30 years, Mm -hmm. from 1980 to 2010. He collects state graduation requirements from a variety of sources like Education Commission of the States. His sample includes nearly 15,000 unique police precincts mm. across 48 states mm-hmm. with about 2.6 million observations. Mm-hmm. He creates a panel data set of cohorts within each police precinct's boundaries. So we're looking at differences across many cohorts and states. Mm-hmm. The basic premise is that as states raise the bar for graduation, students face different requirements, and these requirements are exogenous to trends in crime, and that there are no omitted variables or common shocks that are affecting crime and requirements simultaneously. So David, he controls for agency by year and cohort by year differences and arrest mm-hmm. rates to a fixed effects model. Hey, Mike cares about mm-hmm. this stuff. He does. Do, he do does. Do. Uh, the basic assumption is, again, that adjacent cohorts are essentially identical except one faces higher graduation rates than the other. Higher graduation requirements. Requirements, sorry, requirements. The key finding is that requiring exit exams decreases arrest rates by approximately 7%. Hmm. Said another way, cohorts that face an exit exam have 2.2 fewer arrests per 1,000 individuals than those without any exit exams. This is sort of surprising. Right. Given that studies have found that exit exams increase dropout rates. You know Mm -hmm. that, Mike. Mm -hmm. Um, But you kind of dig in and you find that many of these studies have only looked at the effects on marginal students Mm -hmm. who may be induced to drop out. Mm -hmm. Okay, Uh, the paper also finds that the increase, the decrease rather in arrest rates is primarily due to a decrease in property crimes, though there's also a decrease in overall violent crime. Reductions in arrest are largest in the poorest counties. And there's evidence of increased hourly wages for students who faced an exit exam. Finally, Larson does not find any significant effects of increasing course requirements. Though his model looks at the change in state-mandated minimal course requirements. And he basically says, well, it could be that large numbers of kids might be unaffected by the change mm-hmm. if, the, if kids are already taking more than the minimum. Mm-hmm. Or if their district or school sets a higher requirement than the mm-hmm. minimum. Uh, we can't be sure. Then there's this whole section on what's going on, right? Uh, yeah. why what would, is going yeah, on? Yeah, actually, I want to, yeah, I, I dodged earlier, but I, I had the would, same question. What, <laughs> why? Right. right. Um, we can't be sure why exams decrease arrest rates. And then he kind of has this little yeah. section. Is it possible that accountability motivated schools to increase learning or mm-hmm. that students attended school more often since they thought they needed now to pass this exam? Mm-hmm. I have no idea. 
he has no idea. But another study, basically, among mm-hmm. a growing number that shows that tests can have an impact on non-academic outcomes mm-hmm. um, and that education policy done right could potentially impact crime in a positive way because there are other studies that he cites that sort of have to do with crime, various yeah. crime indicators. But but we don't know what's going on. That's why we're talking about it here. But it's good news. But it's good news. So the yeah, the crime rate was for 15 to 24-year-olds. 24-year-olds, you got it. So let's think about this. Uh, let's take the best case scenario here. Massachusetts with the MCAS, mm-hmm. right? So they introduce the MCAS. Uh, it starts to kick in. Uh, in Massachusetts' case, they did do good stuff to put resources into tutoring and get kids help to pass the exam. Learning increases, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Basically. I, I mean, the, I don't know. I, yeah. yeah. That's, that's, the, that's the hypothesis. That learning. I gotta increase. be honest. I'm a little skeptical. Yeah. I'm with Mike. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, if it were just for 18 year olds and we were talking about like the second semester of senior year, that mm-hmm. would be one thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, it did. It, it was concentrated among the older part of the distribution. Well, look, if, if it boosted wages, I mean, if the point is kids learn more and they did better and they, that led to better employment outcomes and therefore mm-hmm. they were less inclined to go steal stuff right, right. you know but that's just that's a long, that's a long <laughs> it is, trail it is a long trail it is a long trail yeah. and it's honestly a trail that mark that matt larson also yeah. spells out in his paper that exact trail that you yeah. just spelled right. out okay. okay yeah 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 i mean you know this is the hard stuff right the black box i mean yeah i mean let's hope i i, I don't know maybe look i, I i'd like to Show it to all those people yeah. telling us that we shouldn't have exit exams. Yeah, I mean, huh? the increase in hourly wages is pretty suggestive, right? Um, okay, you know. yeah, I missed that part. So there was yeah. one, and that's yes. sort of the in-between link. Mm-hmm. Could be. That's right, could be. Yeah, yep. because David Crime doesn't pay. <laughs> as well as a job. Yeah, <laughs> next Halloween you should just go as a punching bag. But okay. <laughs> All right. Well, look, oh, I, I mean, I feel like we're kind of, uh, yeah, that was good. I, look, I feel like we're a little, uh, we're, uh, uh, we, we don't have much more to say because you're right. I, I mean, it, look, it, it, it's plausible, I it guess. Plausible. Yeah. Wanna, it's plausible. I have more questions than answers it's though. Plausible. Right. Yeah. And, and especially this question of, you know, is it is it true? Does he still find that it does su- increase the dropout rate? So, in other words, maybe these kids who try harder and they actually pass the exam end up learning more and they make more money and they don't commit crimes as much. Mm-hmm. But then, if it's at the same time leading more kids to drop out, you would think those kids would be a very high risk of of crime. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. It's yeah. like we just don't believe that education matters that much. <laughs> <laughs> now, David, I mean, no, I mean, we say that really, <laughs> or education policy at least. Right? Yeah, right. All right. Well, now I want to read the paper. Well, yeah. read the paper. All honestly. right. It's Good. it's 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 worth reading. This sounds super important. It does. It does. It just got accepted in AFP like three days ago. Because awesome. I'm always like hot on it. Like where are the recently accepted papers, and it just appeared. Uh, yeah. It's it's slated for AFP journal sometime in the near future. That's great. All right. right. Well, good. Check it out, everybody. Uh, But that is all the time we've got for this week. So until next week, I'm David Griffin. And I'm Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, signing off. The Education Gap Life Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at FordhamInstitute.org. 